This episode of Harlots of History contains graphic descriptions of sexual acts, in addition to explicit language and sensitive subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harlots of History, a show by women for everyone, except children and pets, including our own. This show is created by our love of the shadier, inventive, and bold women, men, and non-binary humans that you cannot find in the history books. We will be exploring and educating ourselves, and hopefully our listeners, on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, and of course, harlots. We will delve into their pasts, sordid or honorable, discussing the era that they happen to live in and the problems of the times. Be ready for some controversial figures. You may be surprised at how many harlots in history you end up loving or at least begrudgingly respect. So sit back, grab a fizzy drink, some salty snacks, and have some fun listening to Harlots of History, taking back the word harlot one episode at a time. Hello, and welcome to Harlots of History. I'm Kara Mia, a stay-at-home mom of three. I am a former Metro Detroiter, now living in Washington state, and I am never leaving the state. I love it way too much. <laughs> and who are you? That's what I said. I said I was. I ready. know. I but know. But I want to be back. Um, I'm Emily, and I am an out of work bartender and stay at home bartender <laughs> and stay at home dog, cat, mom of three. And my sparkling water says, why be flat when you can sparkle? And I feel like that. Amen. I know. I feel like it really, <laughs> it really applies to me. It really speaks Here's to me. The, it should. It should. Do, uh, it chocolate, chocolate wrappers. The Dove chocolate wrappers always really speak to me. <laughs> the char- <laughs> the do- they, Yeah, they have, like, they have little affirmations on the other side. Yeah. They always have something really important to say. They mean nothing to me if I haven't eaten the chocolate already, but if I've eaten the chocolate and it's in my mouth and I read the affirmation, then it means something to yeah. me. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes, I get this. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, Well, we just want to say welcome to our podcast. Today is a really, really loaded subject. Um, I'm so excited. So before we begin... Even before I do my intro, I just want to say that there are, this whole episode is nothing but sexual themes and has descriptions of very explicit acts. So children under the age of 13, if not older, should not be listening. Also, there are trigger warnings for rape and abuse. Just want to go ahead and get that out there. This episode is a trip. This episode was extremely hard to research because there is nobody who's not biased when reporting this person's life. You're either one way or the other. So I literally had to read between articles and find out which was repeated in each article and put it together. So it was incredibly interesting, but it was extremely hard. So today we are talking about Linda Lovelace. Ooh, I'm so excited. I know nothing about her. I mean, I know like, I know nothing. I know what you told me, which is like one sentence. We will, uh, just before um, I tell you anything, I just want to let you know that I actually had to watch a porn, pornography (gasps) film. Did you? For this research. Yes. I watched all 62 minutes of Deep Throat. Oh. (laughs) All 62 minutes. Yes. Oh my God. There it's, it's, and it's also incredibly interesting because I found out in this, uh, doing my research for this is that 
there are a lot of convenient facts about her life that are left out Mm -hmm. and that you really have to go to the source. And it really taught me about researching for future episodes. And like, I was like, if I didn't watch Deep Throat, I would have missed so much about really? her. It taught you a person. lot? Yeah. Well, it's just even the quotes. And like, there was a scene from it that's never mentioned that it's I found like shocking. A, it's a porn. Oh yeah. yeah. Let's, let's get into it. Oh, we're going to get into it. Okay. Oh, oh are you kidding me? Okay. So All right. Linda Lovelace. Linda Lovelace was a woman on the forefront of the sexual revolution. Her starring role in Deep Throat changed America's sexual attitude more than anything had before. Linda's life is full of turbulence and upheavals from being a proud Catholic virgin to an abusive marriage, to becoming the ultimate pornography star for generations to come, to becoming a born again Christian and anti-pornography advocate. She was one of the few people to ever have four best-selling autobiographies, two pro-pornography autobiographies that celebrated liberating sex and human sexual expression, and the other two were anti-pornography, saying that the industry rapes and assaults women. Was Linda Lovelace, sorry if this is like any spoilers, was she the one who became big in government? Was she the one who, who made the In God We Trust in Florida schools, or is that someone different? Because that was someone she different. was also a, she was also a former sex worker. It might have been. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a quite a few. And actually, I was like that could be a really interesting thing for us to discover I because I thought so. It's just it was also super interesting because throughout her life, this will come up again and again. It's come up in our in episodes before. Throughout her life, she embodied both the Madonna and the whore, like most women do. But mm-hmm. it was really hard for I think women back then to really be comfortable with embodying both. Whereas I am very comfortable with embodying both. (laughs) Me too. But it also has taken us a long time to be comfortable. And like, you're almost 30. I just turned 31 today. And it took me a long time to be like, realize that women are multifaceted people. And you can like sex. And then you can also like, like, you can also fall in love with people. And be really passionate. And you can be both. You can also, you know, be bisexual and polyamorous, but be in a committed marriage. You know, there's just, there's no one way for anybody. Just There's so many, yes, there's so many multifaceted and I just feel like everyone's like light. Everyone has different angles that you can look at it and like. (laughs) Everyone's a rainbow. (laughs) Everyone is a rainbow. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get going. Uh, Linda's early life. She was born Linda Susan Borman worst last name ever, Uh, on January 10th, 1949 in the Bronx. She was born into a slightly more than unhappy working class family. Her father was a policeman who was never home due to to his job. And her mother was a waitress who was very harsh and believed in corporal punishment. Since the age of four, she was beaten for all sorts of minor things. Um, By her mother and her father or just her mother? No, just by her mother. And this was a lovely and stable start to her life, which would definitely lead to happy life full of supportive relationships where she was equal. That's sarcasm. Yes, that sounds sounds accurate. (laughs) She attended private schools, uh, Catholic private schools, which I'm sure created a whole host of other problems, especially back then, uh, where she was nicknamed Miss Holy Holy because she was such a prude that she kept all her dates and boyfriends at an arm's distance to avoid any sexual tension, uh, any sexual acts, anything. So she would like literally keep boys like at an arm's distance. She Sounds would do like the slow dance where you're like, have your hands on the middle school slow dance. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which is fine. And no one should no. be shamed for that. It sounds like all of the abstinent talk she was undoubtedly forced to attend and reinforce at home was really working for her. Yeah. Her family moved to Florida at age 16 
When her father retired from the police force, she finished her high school career without many friends. And guess what happens when you reinforce abstinence in the home? She it doesn't her, work. Right? She lost her virginity at age 19 and became pregnant. This is what happens when you are not educated about sex and contraceptives. Abstinence is not effective. Sex positivity is... If you can't tell, I feel mm. very strongly about this. She I gave, feel very strongly about it, too. <laughs> she gave birth to her baby at age 20 and gave it up for adoption. She claims that her mother tricked her into giving up the baby for adoption by having her sign papers she did not fully read. Again, I probably would not put this past her domineering and abusive mother, who was also a pretty staunch Catholic. After the birth, she decided to restart her life by returning to New York to enroll in computer school. It was just so progressive and modern at the time. I know. I like it. And of course, she was involved in a horrible car accident. It left her with broken jaw and ribs and a lacerated liver. Her injuries were serious enough that she needed blood transfusions. And the uh, blood transfusions actually contained uh, contained uh, contaminated blood that was infected oh with hepatitis C. And this actually led her to getting a liver transplant 18 years later. And so I really want to quickly go into hepatitis. Yes. Um, it is considered chronic if it lasts more than six weeks. She probably had it for 18 years. If unresolved, it can result in acute liver failure. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened to Linda. Her liver failed. Um, acute liver failure results in altered level of consciousness, uh, consciousness, mobility problems, changes in mood and personality. I want you to keep this in mind as I tell her story because I don't think it's addressed enough in her story. I, yeah. I feel like having undiagnosed hepatitis C that's affecting your liver and it's altering your mood and your personality and your consciousness. I think that all has to do with, and again, I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. (laughs) I'm not any of that, but just reading and researching Linda's story, I just don't feel like it comes up enough. Yeah. Um, And at its worst, acute liver failure can result in a coma. Oh, wow. Right. So now we get into a a lovely person. Um, Chuck Trainer. Chuck Trainer met Linda post-car accident recovering at her parents' place poolside in Florida. He opened the conversation with a joint and an offer of a ride in his Jaguar. Wait, at her parents' house? Uh, like just, she, they probably had like a, a communal pool type of deal. Oh, okay. That makes yeah. Sense. So it's like, mm-hmm. just like walked into her backyard. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, Linda's body was still covered in injuries and scars from the accident. So we can imagine that her self-esteem was not where it should be and that she may have been easy to take advantage of. And also just think of Min- Linda's mind frame at the point. And it's, again, not brought o- often enough, but you can just think when you kind of read. Okay. So she had a non-existent father, an abusive mother, forced to go to Catholic school. She was like keeping men at arm's length because she was so afraid that like any touch would lead to sex. She got pregnant. Her mother forced to give the baby up for adoption. She got in just like up until 20, she's had so many things go on in her life already. So you can just imagine how vulnerable she may have been at this point. And she probably was easy to take advantage of. Uh, Chuck was born in New York in 1937. So he was uh, like 13, 12, 13 years older than her. He was a bar owner, small-time criminal, and a minor character in the early East Coast pornographic film industry. He offered her refuge from her parents. So she moved in with him after a few weeks of them meeting. So, oh, I guess he was like a lot. Sorry, I can't do math. Okay. She was 21 and he was 27. So I guess they're not as far in age. That's kind of, I mean, they're not, but like, but for that, that time, young, yeah. 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 But also like guys, when they're 27, I basically have the maturity of like a 21 year old, right? Like, right. Ugh. And like, <laughs> also just from like her, I guess we're kind of led to assume that her first relationship 
if not her first time having sex resulted in pregnancy or her first couple times, she really did not know a lot about sex or at least nuanced sex when entering the relationship. And he said he would teach her. And she reinforces this later, but he claims to use hypnotism on her to have her be a better, like not not just, (laughs) he comes up again. He's like, this is how she can deep throat so well. It's because I used hypnosis on her. Yeah. It's, uh, right? I, I know. I, no. I Like I said, I don't believe in it. It's, she probably just wasn't born with a gag reflex. Oh, wait till you hear some of these article names. It's hilarious. Oh okay. okay. So now is a good time that much of the information that we get from this point is from Linda and her interviews and autobiographies. So mm-hmm. it is definitely biased. So like I said, I, I really try to play both sides of each argument throughout this episode. Okay. So it is said that Chuck was atten- an attentive, charming boyfriend at first, but that he became manipulating, violent, and abusive. He had her sex working in weeks, supposedly against her will. There he became her manager, pimp, and husband. Linda said that between 1969 and 1972, she called her prostitution years, that she was a prisoner to her husband. She claims to have been beaten and threatened by a gun with a gun by Chuck. Um, Chuck said that he indeed did own guns, but he never used them on her. And that anytime he hit her, it was during sex play and that it was consensual. The allegations between the two of them are going to come up a lot during Linda's story. This is even made more complicated by Linda declaring her love for Chuck on many occasions, even as late as 1974. So right now we're still in 1969. Yeah, but you can also be in love with someone who is abusive. I agree. No, I know you know, but like, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you'll get into this, but like, we talk about this a lot in our episodes. And if I'm stepping on what you're saying, I'm really sorry. go, Go for it. It's hard for society to see like rape of a sex worker or abuse of a sex worker or murder of a sex worker. Yeah. Or murder of a sex worker as something that they're not like asking for because they're like, you know, we're like, oh, they, they put this on themselves, but it's like, yeah, don't even get me started on like school dress codes. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so then she alleges that he forced her to move to New York where he became her manager, blah, blah, blah. She claims that he forced her to marry him so that she could not testify against him on drug charges. Again, no proof, but Chuck did try to figure out how to make money off of her. First, he tried to get her to work for a famous madam in New York who did not want her. Xavier Hollander, I said that name because it's adding to our list of future possible subjects, did not think that she was attractive enough. She was too girl next door, according to her. Interesting fact, Linda got silicone injections in her breasts before implants were invented. Oh my God. What was she like? Did she invent? She didn't invent, but no, no. But she just was like, I did not know that women did breast enhancement before implants were invented. I did not know that. It probably wasn't as safe. No, no. Yeah, that comes up again later in her story. Okay. Oh, God. And then she said that she was forced by Chuck into performing as Linda Lovelace in Hardcore Loops, eight millimeter silent film shorts for peep shows. They were all technically illegal. Peep shows were actually very popular in the 1970s and were a major way in which film or video porn was viewed until home video became the norm. So you had to see your porn Surrounded by other people. All of these. Oh, it's like um, The Departed. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. My favorite my Christmas All, movie. Right? All, we just watched that this week. It's so funny. It, I watch it the, every Christmas. <laughs> see, we're, it, It's not a Christmas movie. It just, it's my favorite movie. I don't know. Every family has some, a movie like that. No, I totally get it. We watched Die Hard this year, my family. My my mom didn't get it. Die Hard and Step Brothers were a Christmas movie. <laughs> Die Hard is the best Christmas movie. I my brother Die and Hard. Matt and I were like, yeah. I love <laughs> right. Die Hard. 
It's so good. Um, so all of these loops were filmed secretly in, well, not all of them, but pertaining to Linda, all of her loops were filmed secretly in New York City apartments by just, you know, the most tasteful of men who wore pinky rings. Oh she made God. dozens of these films. If you have and, a pinky ring, I have a problem with you. All right. All right. In one of her autobiographies, and you know, there's always hair curling around that pinky ring. <laughs> How Sorry. does it stay on? Like, I feel like it doesn't feel- come off. It doesn't come off. Are you kidding me? Don't you ever see like the skin's like bulging up around it? Cause like they put it on when they were 20 and they have it on when they're 50 and they've eaten like 500 hamburgers. <laughs> but I don't, I'd, like the pinky ring is like, it's a weird place to put a ring. Like your pinky. I feel like the only time I've ever worn a pinky ring is because I have like fat fingers and I tried to put a ring on a normal <laughs> finger and it didn't fit. And that's actually where you wear signet rings. What's signet? Like ones that like show what school you went to. I know like, oh, like right. you know, like England or whatever. Yeah. They always have signet rings on their pinky let's finger. Get, let's make signet rings to say harlot. Perfect. I love it. Uh, so in one of her autobiographies, Linda said that her marriage was made up of violence, rape, forced prostitution, and private pornography. If this is true, the next phase of her life is very unpleasant to imagine. So before I get into this, again, I'm going to say there is an explicit warning here. I'm going to be talking about things that I've never talked about before in real life. So I can't, you know, I'm talking about them in a podcast. This is not suitable for young listeners. Her loops got more and more experimental and more and more X-rated. And I wanted to take a little pop culture journey. X-rating was created by the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association, in 1968. The MPAA could give a film the rating of X or it could be applied to a film by a producer or distributor. Pornographers actually started putting the X rating on their films to really emphasize the adult or hardcore content. I'm sure you've seen multiple X's outside a strip club or on the cover of a pornographic DVD or magazine. This was a trend started by pornographers in the 1960s and 70s and went really hand in hand with the porno chic movement. The MPAA does not recognize anything beyond a single X rating. Because of the popularity of X rating among the pornography industry, theaters would not show an X rated film, even if it didn't have adult content. The MPAA then created the NC-17 rating in 1990 that we're all used to seeing today. So um, now I will talk about some of her more notable loops. Wait, hold on. Does the, the X or triple X, is there any difference? No. Like, no, one X only on like, thing as three Xs, but they started putting the Xs because like, you know, we see the triple X, we're like, oh gosh, that's real dirty. Yeah, this, it was started back in the 60s after they now, created. Now the Xs are only for like video. They don't, are they're not actually ratings. They're just for like... Video stores, right? Now it's NC-17. Yeah, like more popular use. I believe that you can still, like X-rating is still noticed and it's still recognized, but it's just not used. And so now I will talk about some of her more notable loops. In 1969, Linda starred in a, you ready for this? I'm so ready. Bestiality loop called Dogorama or Dogfucker. No. She denied making this loop for decades until copies of it resurfaced. She then said that she was forced to participate at gunpoint, but the cameraman in 2013 said that she willingly participated and no coercion took place. Her co-star in, this was her co-star in many loops. Eric Edwards also confirmed this saying that Linda was a super freak, which I have problems with, but with no boundaries and that she was a pathological liar. This is where I need to again address the controversy surrounding Linda Lovelace's career. It's so hard to truly know what happened. Yeah. And I, I can honestly see it both ways. I could, I can see why you would say, I will, we'll get into, we'll get into okay. all this yeah, okay. much later. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, and, and I, I see where you're, you're like, right. My, my like problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in 1971, she performed in a loop called piss orgy. 
And guess what it's about? Golden shower. <laughs> Golden shower. <laughs> was it in Russia? <laughs> right, right. Uh, Golden shower is slang for the practice of urinating on another person for sexual pleasure. It falls under urologenia, which is a paraphilia, which is paraphilias used to be called sexual deviations or sexual perversions. We don't call that anymore because a lot of paraphilias are not actually, they're just... We know them more commonly now as like, you know, just fetishes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it is experience and paraphilia, for those who don't know, it is experience of intense uh, sexual arousal to atypical objects, situations, fantasies, behaviors, or individuals. And I think we all have a paraphilia. To normalize your legion. I knew knew that what what that definition was. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Eurogenia, if I'm saying it wrong, I'm so sorry. Um, even Ricky Martin has said in an interview that he enjoys giving golden showers. But is it different though? Like... I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like, have you ever been taking a shower with a guy and he like pees on you because he thinks it's funny? It's different than that. That's way different. That's just like yeah. boys being. That's just boys. like boy thing. I it's hate like, saying yeah. I hate saying boys being boys, but it's just like a stupid no boyish. It's a stupid right, but like you've had the experience, right? They think it's hilarious, and you're like, I mm, no, you haven't. Okay, maybe no. my. <laughs> <laughs> he I mean, my, really my, funny. my my husband has done like way grosser things, but yes. Not the, like, uh, like the you Dutch know, like oven. Yeah, and, no, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dutch oven. I don't, I don't understand why guys think that's funny. Yeah, but if you fart in front of them, it's like, oh, like that's disgusting. I pretty much. I mean, during birth, I like pooped in front of my husband. So you know, yeah, <laughs> I think we're even. Okay, after, after that, <laughs> right? Then at a cocktail party, her and her husband Chuck met Gerard Damiano, who was a fairly prominent softcore porn director who was casting some more hardcore scenes. He was so impressed with her that he wrote a skip script for her, and that script became Deep Throat. Deep Throat is like groundbreaking. Uh, in 1972, Linda Lovelace starred in the movie that would make her a legend and a household name. She starred in Deep Throat. Before we discuss the effects of Deep Throat and the influence it had, let's go over its storyline. I cannot wait to hear this. The interesting <laughs> thing about Deep Throat is that it was the first full-length feature pornographic film, and it had a plot with freedom and creative license, a budget, and a soundtrack. The poster advertising the movie said, Gerard Damiano's Deep Throat, how far does a girl have to go to untangle her tingle? <laughs> it, it is bright yellow. With Linda's naked figure displayed in three positions. In it, Linda plays a woman who is sexually frustrated because she feels like she is not getting all she wants from vaginal sex. She loves sex, but it does not satisfy her. After an (laughs) orgy, she pretty much tells her friend that she is not achieving a true orgasm. And her friend sends her to Dr. Young, who is a psychiatrist, who discovers that her clitoris is uh, actually in her throat. He helps her... Uh, to realize that, that to um, achieve a true orgasm, she must deep throat. Did she deep throat him? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, deep throat. That's like I, that seems like a man thing. Oh, you know what's so weird? I just discovered. I just discovered. You're, you know, the only way oh to try to orgasm, you have to give me a giant blowjob right now. Right now. Like right here. Oh my gosh. Yes. And then deep throat popularized deep throating and oral sex. For those of you that don't know, deep throating is when you take an entire erect penis into the mouth and throat. And deep throating, the person receiving the oral sex is actually in control because the tongue becomes immobilized during the act and sucking is impossible. Just in case any of you have not been there. So, okay, uh, if you haven't. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And Linda is so enamored with Dr. Young for discovering this about her that she asks him to marry her. He refuses, but asks her to work for him in a medical capacity performing deep throating. He's like a psychiatrist who's treating people for sexual problems. So he's saying, you can be a nurse and work for me and deep throat on these men who have these other sexual problems. Like, you know, they, it's, it's, it's have, I'm not saying that it's, it's, a, it's not, a, it's not like a, a super tight storyline. Like there's holes in it all over the place. Literally uh, holes. holes. <laughs> I have so many. Ish- okay. Uh, right. Right. right okay. So Dr. Young documents all her exploits literally while having sex with his nurse on the side. Like he is talking into a microphone <laughs> while he is getting like oral or he's like, yeah, yeah. Um, I like, I don't want to watch this. No. Oh no. you to- And I highly recommend anyone who's more liberally minded to watch this because it's when you think about, I will tell you the people that have actually gone to see it. But when you think about people actually sitting in a theater and watching this side by side, it's hilarious. And also it's just like, so not what we think of porn today. And I actually really en- like enjoyed it. Like in because it actually had like a lot of comedic overtones. Like there was parts where I like laughed because they wanted you to laugh. And in the end of it, it's like, there is this like kind of delightful aspect that it is about a woman's search for her orgasm. Right. Which I think is kind of a little bit rare, especially for those days. It, oh, it totally is. Right. Yeah. And then I don't I wanna- think like women's like having sexual pleasure was like a thing back then. You know, they didn't like, it was or like, it was Oh, starting to become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was, there was like sexual revolution. So I wanted to talk to you about the scene that struck me. Like I, I was dropped. My jaw was dropped during this scene. There is a man that she's visiting him and like as a nurse, like so in this like kind of medical capacity. And so she deep throats him and then they start having sex and he is performing like, you know, anal sex on her while he puts a glass dildo inside her vagina and he pours wine into it, tastes it, and is like, yeah. Then he pours Coca-Cola into it and tastes it, and then she drinks from it. Was it an ad for Coca-Cola? Like this tube. I don't know. I can't believe they used the Coca-Cola. Like, it was like the full Coca-Cola can. And I was just like... That's got to be an ad. That's product placement. Was it like, did you see the Coca-Cola No, that's so 100% product right? placement. There's right? no way it, it couldn't have like, been. I had never seen anything like that before or heard of anything. Like she's drinking from like a tube from a glass dildo. Coca-Cola. Yeah, it was just, it was very, it was very strange. And I was just kind of like, I was like blushing as I watched it. Totally. That's, pro- yeah, it's weird. And so, um, I feel like you know, it would be better. Totally. Champagne, be fizzing all over. <laughs> 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 so would Coca-Cola though. Right? No, totally. <laughs> but um, so you see her like, you know, her deep throating a lot of men till she finally meets a man that makes her tingles end and she gets married. The ending shot says the end and deep throat to you all. <laughs> oh my God. That's not even correct grammar. <laughs> I know. I know. And some of my favorite quotes from the movie. And this proves I've watched it. Okay. <laughs> This, I like was typing it down as like, I was like, oh my gosh, you got to stop this. So it says, she says, there should be more than just tingles. I want there to be bells, bombs, bursting in air. <laughs> Is that like part of the like national anthem? Yeah, yes. Um, she said, the man I marry has to have a nine inch penis. The man she's wow. telling this to, uh, the man she's telling this to her said, to think I'm only four inches away from happiness. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the size that counts. It's how you use it. And that man um, contacts Dr. Young 
who says that he's going to give him silicone treatments and they eventually her and that man who only had the five inch only I say that sarcastically had the five inch penis but like more so when I was watching it I was just like dude these penises are so huge and veiny and we're so red I was getting we were just having this conversation the other night like yes like I penises like when you look at them when you're with one you're like whatever but when you're seeing it on porn you're like because because you love the man that it's attached to it's his yes. right well, right love or at least like or, or tolerate yep I'm um right so the movie like I said actually had some comedic elements and the soundtrack was hilarious uh, it was really easy to see how that it was like a template for the future pornographers, like that bow, 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 like that really oh, like, it was like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like, you could tell that they were just like barely, like you could tell exactly what song they're ripping off, but it was just enough that they wouldn't get copyrighted back then. It was hilarious. Like there was like a really weird version of like Ode to Joy and stuff what? like that. Yeah. Oh, it was so weird. It was so weird. It was I so like, funny. I want to watch this now. Oh, if you want to watch it, you can find it on Pornhub. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's a full length. It's yeah. And also in it, like I love Linda Lovelace's style. Like I think her hair is so cute. Her style is so cute. And also she shaves her like vaginal area with a straight blade like razor in it. Oh my and god. And I was so I was more impressed by that than anything that happened in the movie. <laughs> that's the most impressive thing. Oh, oh that scares me so much. I don't I know. It was so interesting. That's amazing. Right? And so the film was shot over six days in North Miami at the Voyager Inn, which later became a college dormitory for a local university. So you could be staying at the room where Linda Lovelace performed Deep Throat, which I think you is know what really cool. university it was. Uh, it wasn't. It was like some really like little one. Was it University of Puget Sound? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's in North Miami. Well, <laughs> okay. So, well, uh, North Louis, Tacoma, North Miami, right? Same thing. Right. Louis Butchie Bariano, Lou Perry, a son of the Colombo crime family, produced the movie. Look at us, one mob after the other. And by next episode, we're doing is on the mob too. We're just nonstop mob, right? He funded the soundtrack with his father's mob money. Initially, Lou Perry was not impressed with Linda until he saw her sexual technique. The movie cost about forty six thousand dollars to make, which in today's money is two hundred and ninety thousand. And Linda was paid just over twelve thousand, twelve hundred. Sorry, twelve hundred, one thousand two hundred for her starring role. And she said that Chuck took it and that she received no payment. So throughout the rest of Deep Throat's history, she never saw compensation. And the film was distributed by a network of mafia associates and business partners, which I think I have not really looked into the pornography business and the mafia, but I think that they have a ton of connections. And we will talk about, I actually don't know what episode it is compared to this one. But we're, I think it's a later episode. We're going to talk about it. Cool. In the episode I'm recording tomorrow. Uh, cool. Not pornography, but prostit- uh, sex working. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So which we'll go with. Well, not awesome we that they did it, it, but yeah. You know no, but yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about it. So yeah. now we're going to talk about, you know, the reviews of Deep Throat and its effect on society. <laughs> uh, Deep Throat was 62 minutes long. And it, after it premiered in New York, it played several times a day for 10 years. At the Pussycat Theater chain. And yes, I checked. There's only one left in Cali. Because I was like, oh, that sounds cute. <laughs> Everyone who was anyone went to see it. It had 17 sex scenes in the 62-minute movie. And if you take out scene setting, dialogue, etc., there was 2.9 minutes for every sex scene. I think you pretty much got what you paid for. 
It was, yeah. yeah. Deep Throat helped to launch a brief period in the upper middle class called Porno Chic. More liberally minded housewives had an interest in pornography. There was an edited review in the New York Times. It just called it Throat because it had to take out the deep for, you oh. know. Yeah. Yeah. Barbara Walters mentioned seeing it in her autobiography. What? Frank Sinatra. Vice President Spiro Agnew, Warren Beatty, Truman Capote, and Shirley MacLaine were some of the more famous viewers who caught the film in the theater. There is a rumor that Sammy Davis Jr. became so obsessed with the film and Linda, obsessed with Linda, that him and his wife had group sex with Linda and Chuck Trainer, her husband. Did they like invite Linda and then... Chuck was like, Chuck I'm coming along. Like had, yeah. yeah, Chuck like, had to be there. I don't know. He made I sandwiches know. for them. <laughs> like Ross. Okay. I know. That's what I was thinking. Uh, he was in the corner. So, oh, my gosh. Totally. And then uh, Roger, Roger Ebert, the famous film critic for the Chicago Sun-Times. And if you have a chance, all of his reviews are free. And if you just like, especially if it's like about an older movie, look up his reviews. He is such a good writer and it's so delightful. I've, and they're short. I've seen him. I've seen him in real life. Did I ever tell you this? Oh, I, he came up. to, I know I, he came to uh, see you when I was in uh, high school and we went up, it was like a film lit. And like, I was, re- I really wanted to be a film critic at that point. Yeah. We saw him and he was, uh, it was an Elliot Gold movie that we, we watched and then we watched the movie all together and then he stopped it. It was like a two part thing. I think, I don't know if I went to both days, but we watched half of it and he stopped and reviewed it. It was like the coolest thing ever. And He's Elliot like, and Gould, like, like oh. I didn't, I've never, I'd never seen him in a, anything other than friends. And it was like yeah. a serious movie from like the sixties. It was super good. It was like the coolest experience. I'm so jealous of you. But yeah, so read any old movie reviews from him. It's so good. But he wrote this in his review in March 1973. It is all very well and good for Linda Lovelace, the star of a movie, to advocate sexual freedom. But the energy she brings to her role is less awesome than discouraging. If you have to work this hard at sexual freedom, maybe it isn't worth the effort. And like, it seems kind of like whatever that he wrote it. But like, if you watch the movie, you realize, I mean, the movie has like about like, I would say 30 solid minutes of her deep throating, like four or five other men. And I can see why he's like, this is exhausting. Like, you know, that does sound exhausting. And in it, his review, he also said that this was the first stag film to see with a date. (laughs) I understand porn, but I I feel like that is like for like a, for at least for me, for like a girl to see it, you're like, "Eh, I could, I do that enough in my own life. Like, I don't need to see someone else doing it. It's just right. exhausting. Right. But you got to also remember, like, this film was actually very different back then. And, and like, the way it was advertised was ingenious. And then also, if you remember from All the President's Men, if you've ever watched that movie, great movie, Howard Simmons, in real life, the managing editor of the Washington Post, chose Deep Throat as the code name for his hyper-secret Watergate informant, which I think is, like, hilarious and amazing. That is really funny. Along with helping popularizing a porno chic, the movie was on the forefront of the golden age of porn. As Fenton Bailey said in the Vanity Fair article, amazing what an absence of gag reflex can achieve. Yeah. Right? Throughout the history of civilization, the crucial role of pornography is to be a midwife of new emerging media, which I think is like really, really cool. Like back in the day, it was like print and then it became magazine or whatever. And then it became like, you know, this like really like these people are making these these films and movies and then it was on the forefront of internet so i think that's a really cool idea so the golden age was a 15-year period from 1969 to 1984 where sexually explicit films received interest and positive attention from mainstream audiences theaters and critics as well as commercial success the golden age began with the blue movie by andy warhol 
1969. Oh, that's cool. And I haven't watched it. I bookmarked it. It's about like a couple talking in bed in a New York apartment and they like have sex and talk about the Vietnam War. So it's actually like more of like an anti-war movie than like a porn. That's but, actually, yeah. but, but there is like explicit sex in it. Yeah, yeah. So I actually that's, that's so interesting. Though, right? Like all these like themes that were going on at the time. It seems very realistic because that's like someone like a couple would do like just <laughs> having sex. Be like <laughs> the, the Vietnam War, and then like, well, even like nowadays, think about it. Like you're like sex, yeah. sex, sex, political crap. Oh, yeah. I'm so stressed. <laughs> I gotta have more sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want to talk about this. Right. And uh, like I said before, this movement was fueled by higher budgets, creative license, and a Hollywood approach to directors while filming. I was, I'll say again, the angles that they got in Deep Throat was like so interesting because like I hadn't really seen those angles before and they were seemed more creative than like just trying to like, it's it without like, just because like a lot of, I feel like if you watch a lot of like low budget porn nowadays, it's like, okay, what's the sexiest shot that I can give to a man rather than like, it seemed like there was like a couple shots where I was like, Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Oh, that kind of looks like, you know, it's just like, was really cool angles. Well, it's interesting too, that it, I mean, I think that the method of going about it is kind of silly, but like, I, like you said earlier, like, I think it's interesting that it was actually about a woman's finding Mm -hmm. her sexual power. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean that there can be power in that too, but like, I just think it's so much, so much like a man. Oh, so weird. (laughs) Funny that you say it like that, right? Yeah. Um, I just discovered this brand new information. Here I have. I found this scientific journal here. Read it. Don't look too closely at it though. Uh, The one thing that I thought was funny is they like never show her. They show like, oh, also that was really cool about the movie is they revert to and from clips really fast instead of showing her having an orgasm. It's like shows like um, bombs bursting in air, this, that, this, that, this, that, this, that. And it was like kind of cool. It was like, like I said, it was actually a super creative movie. I like kind of want to watch it. But but is it like that? It's like this myth of the orgasm that I feel like makes it so hard, you know? No, they show, I, they show another woman in it having an orgasm. Okay. But you know, just like Linda couldn't achieve that regularly. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. I do feel like there's this myth in like, I'm not myth. I mean, like orgasms are great, but I just feel like, yeah, we've talked about this before, but like, and books and stuff, they're always like, oh my God, like her world shattered. She broke into a thousand pieces. Like just the way they read about it. It's like, it makes it like this impossible thing to obtain. Or I just like, yeah, that women's orgasms are 5 million times better than men's will ever be. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the golden age ended with the creation of video cassette recorders, which reverted the industry back to being low budget and kind of what we know it today, which I thought was just so interesting that like one creation, one invention can just like, so, I mean, this happens throughout our history for many different things, but you know, it completely changed this industry. Mm-hmm. Like one thing did. Right. And the film has gro- uh, grossed an em- estimated six hundred million to date, which is three point seven billion in today's money. Now think about that, Linda Lovelace, Linda Borman. Li- yeah, she saw nothing. This number is hotly contested, with estimates estimates like all over the place, just like it is with the rest of her life. But if the amount is true, Deep Throat is one of the highest grossing films of all time. Wow! It became the first and highest grossing every all films, not just. Mm-hmm. Not just porn. Yeah, all films, all films. Oh my god! And it god. became the first and highest-grossing X-rated videotape release of all time. So oh it was released. You know what? Like almost a decade later, after it was actually shown. Yeah, and it was still just as popular then. The movie was a hotbed for obscenity trials, and it was shown to jurors all over the U.S. and banned in many locations. It was banned in the U.K. until a video release in 2000. 2000. 
And it was released in 1972. It has been argued that the film was so popular because of the ruling against mature enterprises who helped to distribute. You like it? Mature enterprises? (laughs) They really Joel Judge Joel J. Tyler ruled Deep Throat to be obscene, issuing his opinion on the film as this feast of carrion and squalor and a deer of decadence and a Sodom and Gomorrah gone wild before the fire. Now, if you hear that about a film, what are you going to do? I mean, I'll go see it. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I would Right. And it. Harry Harry Reams, the actor who played Dr. Young, was arrested in 1974 by the FBI with a charge of distributing ag- across state lines. Harry said that he was the first actor in the U.S. to be charged federally for acting in a movie. And he's also credited with pioneering the 70s poor mustache that we know today. And it is really? glori- it is glorious. Like his hair. He's my favorite character in the film, actually. He was really good. Yeah. And then, like cool. I said. Linda became a household name, like a household name, a pornographic star. Think of like a pornographic star today who would become, who would be a household name. Who's you know the, what I mean? Who's the one, who's the one guy that like, <laughs> Ron Jeremy. There you go. Yep. He, he was so infamous while we were younger, especially. Um, yeah. But that's like, that's like the only porn name I know. Like, right. Yeah. And uh, she posed for Playboy and Esquire. She walked red carpets, left her hand and footprints in the cement outside the Hollywood location of Pussycat Theaters. She introduced Led Zeppelin and Elton John at live concerts. She went to the Oscars and she was honestly the first adult film star to do so. She went to the Oscars? That's Yes. Yes. And like, That's so amazing. Like said, like, so like during the year after this was released, she was like so famous. It was incredible. Yeah, that is amazing. Yep. And, but again, dark side. She also claims to be abused during, abused during this time. She said that in Deep Throat, you could see bruises on her legs from Chuck Trainer's beatings. The director, um, Damiano, said that she was tense around Chuck while filming the quote unquote money shots and would not fully let loose and enjoy herself when he was around. They attribute it to the idea that she loved Chuck and wanted to protect his feelings and his masculinity, but it could just be as quickly used to support the theory that she was abused. One thing I will say from watching her interviews and Deep Throat is that Linda seems to be soft-spoken and sweet and easy to manipulate. Her voice is so soft. Her eyes are like so wide-eyed. It's just like she's so cute. And like, I, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that that could. And it also doesn't surprise me that like a group of men it could be like, oh, no, she was just a freak. Like, she loved that stuff. Like, right? That's like our, that's the age-old thing. Like, oh, she wanted it. Like, she was asking for it. Like, right? no, not, no. Right, and like, and like the thing that made her so popular too is like she was not a hardened pornography queen, like kind of like what we're used to seeing. Like she honestly looked like the everyday woman who was just like a little bit more liberated. This like guys love that like innocent thing because they feel like they want to corrupt someone and they want to be like responsible. But oh, I'm not, like yeah. I'm not, and I'm not speaking like every single man in the world. But I'm just saying I think that's a common thing. Like oh you're so innocent. Like mm-hmm. but yeah. you know but this is the identity that made her so popular in Deep Throat in her previous loops. So it is hard to know if that was really her or was she acting. Yeah, and like I said, it's like it's like I said, her life is surrounded by controversy. But you've watched interviews with her too, and you said she was like, ah, but uh, uh, we'll get into it. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you right. why. Okay. I mean, she's a she's a flip flopper. If I ever knew one, after Deep Throat, uh, Linda's career was amazing and glittering for a year. Then it plateaued and went downhill. Like I said, she released two autobiographies, both pro porn, both bestsellers. Uh, from inside Linda Lovelace, I quote. I live for sex. I will never get enough of it and will continue to try every day to tune my physical mechanism to finer perfection. Nothing about sex is bad that should be 
that should be repeated over and over. And perhaps the truth will eventually be seen. In the book, she also alleged to use hypnosis and the mystical to truly satisfy men. Okay. Right? And it was said that she actually started writing books because she could not sue Chuck Trainer for rape because of the statute of limitations, but that has never been proven. But I just want to say that she featured in sex scenes and other pornographic films, but she did not star in them. She made one last full length porno in 1973, which was released in 1974. Deep Throat 2, which did not do well because of litigations involving, you know, it's hardcore nature and they chopped off the other they chopped off hardcore scenes and it was released with an r rating okay we'll find this throughout linda's life if whatever she was doing whether it was acting or performing of any if it was not x-rated people did not want anything to do with her which is just kind of sad um deep throat 2 was actually reshot later with a different actress and ron jeremy directed both three of the Deep Throats. They go up to six. It goes up to Deep Throat six, just in case you're wondering. Oh <laughs> and she was arrested in 1974 in Las Vegas for possession of cocaine and amphetamines. She was also um, reportedly fond of painkillers. I mean, honestly, her life, you're just kind of like, oh, I get it. I've, yeah. Right? She tried to start a nightclub and dinner theater career, both of which bombed at the box office and in reviews. Her shows were closed early. Um, I honestly think it was really hard to satisfy audiences who only wanted one thing. And I feel really bad for her. Right. Right. Because if you like, yeah, you're trying to get out of it and people are like only see you as this one but thing. I it's think like, it's, it's really hard once you have a name for yourself. Right. And she like, it's also really weird how she just swore off what she was really good at. You know, after she made her name in like doing this particular thing. And then she was like, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. I was feel bad for her. she still with her husband at that point mm-hmm. when she tried yeah. to do that? Uh huh. Yep. And then it wasn't until so all Deep Throat Two released all this stuff. I said she released autobiographies, but actually she didn't release them until in 1975 when she left left Chuck Trainer for David Winters. David Winters produced her movie Linda Lovelace for President, which followed her on a campaign route that was shaped like a penis. <laughs> right. That's um, amazing. In an interview with Penthouse. Linda said that she had many good times with David and he cultured her. He took her to go see her first play and it seemed like he allowed her to truly be herself and experience New York and life for the first time. David was her second husband. Uh, husband, or what, boyfriend, honestly, lover. You hear like reports that he was her husband. You hear reports that he was her boyfriend, but he was a good person in her life. And I honestly feel like he was the first person to really date her without an agenda. But again, He's the one who really pushed her to let out auto, to like publish autobiographies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happened to the money from all these autobiographies that were bestsellers because she was really like poor for the rest of her life. And I'll get into that. But okay. this movie, uh, Linda Lovelace for President, ended her career pretty much and dreams of becoming an actress. Really? Uh huh. Yep. And so, and like this 1975, this is two, three years after Deep Throat was released that her she's like 49 so what she's like 26 yeah something she's super young still yeah her divorce uh trial from chuck trainer was really ugly and it was during this trial that she started saying that chuck trainer was abusive to her chuck trainer was abusive to her she hadn't really she hadn't said that before this time he forced her into pornography at gunpoint with an m16 that's what she said and that he was her pimp and that he beat her from this point 
her story never changed. So for decades later, it's to her credit that her story never changed. But she did lie about the bestiality loops until they were discovered. Chuck Trainer, of course, denies all charges. He's very casual about the Chuck, uh, the gun and the you know, beating rumors and the hitting rumors or accusations, I should say. He's very casual about them in a way that really does bug me. Here, yeah. yeah. And here are some quotes from Ordeal, which is her autobiography that she released in 1980. This one was anti-porn. I literally mm-hmm. became a prisoner. I was not allowed out of his sight, not even to use the bathroom where he watched me through a hole in the door. He slept on top of me at night. He listened to my telephone calls with a 45 automatic eight shot pointed at me. I suffered mental abuse each and every day afterwards. Another quote, my initial uh, initiation into prostitution was a gang rape by five men arranged by Mr. Trainer. It was a turning point in my life. I had never experienced anal sex before and it ripped me apart. Another quote, I engaged in sex acts and pornography against my will to avoid being killed. The lives of my family were threatened. So it's, it's heavy. It's real heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, several witness, witnesses stated that they believe Chuck Trainer beat Linda behind closed doors, but they also questioned her credibility. Her co-star in Deep Throat 2 said that Linda was a sadist. Also, you got to realize during this time uh, when she started coming out, as an anti-porn advocate, she was looked at as a Benedict Arnold. Right. Like a lot yeah. of, you know, um, actually Larry Flint, who's really infamous in the industry, was actually very much for her in the Inside Deep Throat documentary, which is also really good. But Linda took polygraphs, which apparently supported her accusations. But we know we cannot rely on polygraphs alone because they can be inaccurate. A psychiatrist who reviewed her autobiography ordeal said that many details from the book were consistent with a uh, diagnosis of complex PTSD. Linda's PTSD could have come from the uh, alleged abuse from Chuck or from her parents. Quite a a bummer. To some extent, I do believe Linda. I do believe she was manipulated and vulnerable. I believe she regretted her life choices later on in life. I do believe she did not receive just compensation for her early performances, including Deep Throat. I do believe she embellished what happened to her, but that does not make it any less real to her. I believe many women could have been Linda if they were in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time, however you want to look for it. Linda was suffering with uh, with undiagnosed hepatitis C and some other mental illnesses from her abusive mother, suffering with the Madonna whore complex, being forced to give up a child, being exploited for the screen. And in this way, I like found myself relating to her so much. I was like, we literally all could have been Linda if we were just born in the right situation, you know? And like, honestly, just because, you know, maybe things didn't happen 100% as they did in her book, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean she didn't feel them that way. But I was like, instead of writing books, why wasn't she going to see a therapist? There was no count of her ever going to see a therapist. A therapist reviewed reviewed her book. But, you know, even later on in her life. weren't big there. Yeah. Well, and think of the last time that she saw a therapist on screen. He literally told her that she had to like try and fix. I wouldn't want to go to a therapist either. You'd be like, oh God. That's that's <laughs> really funny. That's actually really funny. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Right. And then actually, um, it seems that during her divorce, it was during her divorce that she started to be against pornography. She seemed to swear off of hardcore, which is what she formed her image on, and she was really good at it. In 1976, when she was chosen to play the starring role in Forever Emmanuel, she was fired because she was not, not only was she on heavy drugs at the time, she said that God had changed her life and she refused to do any nude scenes. 
So this is four years after Deep Throat and she rocked the nation. She was refusing to do nude scenes. And of course, you know, not doing nude scenes goes hand in hand with the erotic genre because Reverie Emanuel was an erotic film. She even wanted a uh, Venus de Milo statue statue removed because it had exposed breasts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another severe change in her life. And Linda went from being a proud virgin to a pornography star to a crusader against pornography and nudity. So her life is just full of these like crazy switches. Yeah. She then married a cable installer who then owned a drywall business in 1976 and had two children in 1977 and 1980, a boy and a girl. They lived on Long Island and Linda seemed to be happy. She had a definite purpose. So like quote unquote normal. Yeah. yeah, You'll see. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was then that she had a double mastectomy because of her silicone implants. During the procedure, the doctors discovered that her liver was not working because of hepatitis C from the blood transfusion in 1969, and she had a liver transplant. She had to take a costly anti-rejection drug for the rest of her life, or dialysis. She had to do dialysis for the rest of her life. How old was she when this? Happened? Uh, 1980. I don't. I. I like 41. 40, right. 40s. Yeah. 30, 49? No, 31. 31? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. She was young. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then Linda had undergone a transformation during this time and became quite domestic. The Washington Post describes her as follows. And this is a little bit of a long excerpt from the Washington Post, but it just is so crazy that a woman that you see performing in deep throat and walking around in these transparent dresses and like just being like this, like, Uh, champion of sexual liberation. And this is what she became in such a short time. She wears dark blue slacks and very sensible shoes, a turtleneck and a pink pinafore embroidered with the word mommy. The baby underneath it, her second, is due in the spring. She and her husband, Larry, live on welfare now and have for the last three years. Her freckles are obscured by silver-rimmed glasses and her hair is long and straight now. The frizziness is yet another part of the past. She used to have like this gorgeous curly hair. Her mouth is set in a thin straight line that begins at prim and ends at proper. She's 31 now, wary, plain, and nervous. Laughter startles. Irony eludes her. She doesn't see the sleight of hand, the tricks that can turn a suburban cliche into a much-cherished fantasy. There is only the adamant denial of the way things used to be. I would not want to meet Linda Lovelace, she said. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. That's not the way I am. That wasn't me. Wow. And it's just like when you read the articles and the interviews that were done with her at this time, with her and her husband, it's just like so crazy how he had... It seemed like he had to quit his job because of her reputation. It seemed yeah. like her reputation her- just uh, encompassed all of her life and that she was never able to escape deep throat. I mean, how, yeah, I don't know how, how could you, you would. Right, right. Yeah, unless you like really like you moved. I mean, you would have to like really go incognito. And change your name, right? Yeah. And then change her your name, dye your hair, like the whole day. Yeah, everything. And then her husband's business went bankrupt in 1990 and they moved to Colorado. Hey. Hey. She tried working at a drugstore, but could not be on her feet all day because of the varicose veins that she said mm-hmm. she got from being abused. But I was also like, I don't know if sexual abuse ends in varicose veins or physical abuse. I feel like that is from pregnancy. She had two kids. We, we can just, look I'm, into it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm just speaking from uh, my daughter's father and my mother both have varicose veins and my mom's had to get them removed. Mm-hmm. And those are really painful, right? Super painful. Yeah. And then she was fired from a computer company for falsifying a time card. Her and her husband divorced in 1996. During her divorce, their divorce, Linda said that her husband, Larry, drank excessively, was verbally abusive to her children and was sometimes violent with her. And I quote, 
She said, I prostituted myself to my husband so I could have my kids. They were the most important thing to me. They were all I ever wanted. These claims have not been confirmed, but it is easy to see Linda lying to get a larger amount of alimony or custody or that she went from one cycle of abuse to another her whole life. Yeah. Do you see how it's like so, it's so hard. It is really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you can really see it both ways. Right. And that's why I said the articles are either like super against her in a way that I find distasteful and the other ones are super for her, which are just fine. But it's like, I feel like you're skipping major points in her life. I feel like you're doing a really good job about showing both sides because it is something that happens where like we, I think we believe victims. Mm -hmm. There are some people that do say it. And honestly, she seemed like a very... Even if she was lying, she seemed like a very desperate woman who was used by an industry. I, I mean, yeah, the fact I, I, her life was destroyed by this image that she portrayed in a movie that was so popular and she never received money from it. That's exploitation. Yeah, I mean, she definitely didn't. Yeah, no, she definitely didn't have like, you know, a perfect life. Like she had, she had a lot of shit happen to her. Right. So let's go into the anti-pornography movement. Linda was the epitome of the anti-pornography movement and the demeaning effects of the industry. Some have called her an Andrea Dworkin, who is also really well known for being like Linda, like being in the the industry and then being vocally, very vocally against it. They've been known as the poster child. Some have coined what she did the linda syndrome using it to describe others so if like someone yeah so like later actresses or actors who have been in porn and then they later were like you know severely against it yeah they people say like oh you have linda syndrome yeah with the publication of her third autobiography ordeal is when she changed her story that she told for two previous autobiographies and the publishing house that published this was the same company that published the Anarchist Cookbook. Oh, wow. Right? So you're just kind of like, ah. Yeah. And then the publisher was so wary of her that he, uh, the publisher made uh, her take 11 hours of polygraphs before what? it could be released. Yeah. So that's where, like, you know, they're like, the lie detector test confirm her accusations. They made her take it for it. So it wasn't even like in a very official capacity. Which but- can be passed. And two, if you, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. And in it, she accused Chuck and the industry of white slavery. I have a real big problem with that term. And she also identified herself with Patty Hearst, which I think is a very weird person to identify. Do you know about Patty Hearst? No, I know. I mean, I obviously know the name, but I don't know much about her. Patty Hearst is the woman that was kidnapped by a militant group in the U.S. And then she was, they said that she was stockholm syndrome and that she like her captures and they show her robbing banks and like these black berets and she compared herself to patty beret or patty hearst patty beret that was a better (laughs) name she they compared she compares herself to patty hearst as like i'm a strong woman who had my mind broken oh yeah which i did but still patty hearst yeah so controversial and like a really unique subject all in her own really weird person to compare yourself to that is um, and also, when Linda was asked why she sided with the feminists to ban the porn industry instead of feminists trying to fight domestic violence or domestic abuse, she replied, the people fighting domestic abuse never approached me. And I feel like Linda's never portrayed as anything less than intelligent. But she seemed, like I said, very, I mean, you kind of have to become when you're like a waning celebrity opportunistic. 
Right. And that's almost like what she seemed to do. Adult film actress Gloria Leonard was quoted as saying, this was a woman who never took responsibility for her own choices made, but instead blamed everything that happened in her life on porn. This I agree with. Eric Edwards, who I've quoted before, after Deep Throat, the business simply passed Linda by. She wasn't particularly attractive, nor could she act. If she told the truth about her life, her book may have not sold as well as making up a story that she claims that she was forced to do these disgusting things. Again, I'm saying these things because there is no definite proof of what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's exhausting, just even like the both sides. Um, Linda even testified before the problematic 1986 Attorneys General Commission on Pornography, also called the Mies Commission, saying, when you see the movie Deep Throat, you are watching me be raped. It is a crime that the movie is still showing. There was a gun to my head the entire time. The, oh the Mies Commission was made by president reagan oh, and that okay. should just tell you enough about it yes she was considered a professional witness for many other commissions she gave lectures on college campuses she gave many famous interviews to television hosts like phil donahue and journalists like gloria steinham in her last autobiography out of bondage which i think is just like so dramatic that, yeah. <laughs> right even had an intro that was written by steinham and gloria steinham was like was working with linda lovelace Linda Marciano, whatever she was known at the time, she was working with her to get Deep Throat banned from the U.S. Oh, wow. And that's what you'll see is the anti-pornography movement kind of started to die out because it was seen as pro-censorship, which I fully agree with. Like, I think it is pro-censorship. Um, right. In this time of her life, we can see how she is treated like a rape vi victim that is horribly judged by public opinion when she comes out with her story of rape and mistreatment, much like we saw with Christine Blasey Ford during the Kavanaugh hearing recently. Mm -hmm. You know, so in that way, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, just because she's coming out with it years later doesn't mean it's any less true. Yeah. And it's understandable too, why you keep that hidden too, because like well, the Me Too movement definitely made it more, it make it easier for women to come out, but it's still not easy at no. all for someone to come out with that. Imagine back then, like in the, you know, what, 90s? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So um, let's, this is, you know, my last part, but I think it's really important. Let's address the anti-pornography movement because it is gaining more traction as people are addressing human trafficking and white slavery. I do have a problem with the term white slavery because it was coined mm -hmm. in the early 1900s during the reform movement, which caused the prohibition of alcohol and sex working. Human trafficking, of course, is a huge problem, a huge problem. And I won't deny that. The anti-porn movement has followers from social conservatives to harm reduction advocates. So from religious concerns to feminist concerns, the we don't even need to go into the religious view. We all get that. The feminist right. view, not that we agree, but we get it. Um, the feminist view believes that the pornography industry exploits and is complicit in its violence against women and its production and consumption. They believe it reinforces sexual and cultural attitudes of rape and sexual harassment. In effects of prolonged consumption of porn, Dolph Zillerman in the 80s found that extreme viewing leads to Decreased respect for monogamy and procreation. Oh, no. Another study <laughs> found that it desensitizes viewers towards victims of sexual violence. Other people believe it increases the amount of sexual assault. I have a hard time with these theories and findings. Although rape is one of the most commonly searched key terms when searching for titles on pornography sites, I believe that is more indicative of our society than being the fault of porn. Like many other feminists opposed to censorship, I support 
porn that is sex and female positive. I support porn that is consensual and gives anyone who identifies as a female a safe place to work and feel empowered, who cares about nuclear families, and monogamy and children are not for everyone. Part, yes, absolutely. Right? Part mm-hmm. of the anti-porn movement has the Reagan's administration stink all over it and further enforces the Madonna whore trope. The anti-porn mm-hmm. movement does. Right, I believe yeah. that I believe that women have been exploited, mistreated, and even raped in the pornography industry. But women have been in every other industry as well. TVs, movies, Mm -hmm. modeling, financial institutions, in the sport professions, in school, police forces, in the home, as well as in the legal institution our country relies on. So no, I do not think pornography is, is the problem. I think that the parents and the structures and the mindsets in this country that reinforce white men and sexual harassment in its largest and smallest forms, like catcalling, are the problems. Pornography plays a minor role in the sexist practices ruling female lives. There have been later studies that found that widely available pornography have decreased sex crimes. It demystifies sex and removes the Victorian effect. Mm, Victorian effect, yep. Right, right, totally. I think it's a really good point too because it's like, I was having this conversation the other day, like you can look at sex working and porn and being like, oh, well, like, it brings drugs and it brings like all these bad things as well. And yeah, there is a lot of that that's found so do professional it. sports. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's more, it's less about that. Like, yes, there, like if you go to Vegas or parts, you go look at the sex workers there. There's a lot of drugs and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of bad things that come with it too, but that's not necessarily because of the profession. That's more because of like the patriarchal society that, puts people down and like and that puts great, women down and, and also yeah. like creating boundaries for these professions means that people do not necessarily have access to them and are not knowledgeable about them and therefore will probably mistreat them i don't know that just that's just a whole I, other thing yeah well and then criminalizing it i feel like if you criminalize something you're going to open up the world to other criminal activities. If you decriminalize something like look at decriminalizing weed in a lot of States, like you're not having to like call your weed dealer and like meet him while he's walking his dog at like 2 AM, which is actually like, right. <laughs> and I knew in college, uh, you, you text him and be like, are you walking your dog? But like, yeah. And also we don't need to fill the prisons and jails with people with these things that even should, that, that aren't even crimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to send a black man to jail for 35 years for smoking weed. Oh, my gosh. There's, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, like, honestly, like, weed is not even nearly as bad as alcohol, which... Oh, yeah, weed is I drink much better weekly, than alcohol. Right? Yeah. And then, um, since the right to privacy law in 1969, which pretty much said we could do what we want in our own home sexually... Amen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a sexual liberation movement in the late 60s, which was parallel to the golden age of porn. We have had contraception, the pill, gay liberation, legalized abortion, interracial marriage, return to natural childbirth, women's rights, feminism, and a more sex positive culture. Yeah. Woo! And in mm-hmm. 1970, the President's Commission on Obscenity and Pornography concluded that there was insufficient evidence to that exposure to explicit sexual materials played a significant role in the causation of delinquent or criminal behavior. Hmm. And in pornography and feminism, the case against censorship, yet this theoretical cocktail of biologism and behaviorism is lethal. To see men as naturally programmed for violence is to endorse the most conservative views on human nature and to see it as unchanging and unchangeable. 
According to a 2006 paper, Porn Up, raped down by Northwestern University law professor, professor Anthony Diamato, the incident Incidence of rape in the U.S. has declined 85% in the last 25 years while access to pornography has become freely available to teenagers and adults. Not saying that rape isn't still a major problem. Right. It's saying it, there may be a correlation. I'm not saying that it's the it's the solution. I'm not saying that it's ending. Right. No, no, none of that. But also, a lot of people are like, well, you can become addicted to porn. You can become addicted to anything. It's moderation, right? Porn addiction yeah. is also not an official diagnosis. It's really difficult to research over all the different forms of porn, which all have different effects. There's also a lot of confirmation bias throughout all the anti-porn studies and commissions. Rather than stopping pornography addiction, we should be looking for the underlying disorders. Right. And of course, there's problems in the pornography industry and occupational health hazards like STDs and pregnancy. I just really like, and I'm not going into all that now, but I just wanted to address this anti-pornography movement because it defined Linda's life. Right, yeah. Toward the end of her life, she lived in a small apartment in Denver, worked in user support for a small company, and was a janitor at night. Can you believe that? Like after like how, a quote unquote, being invited invited to the Oscars. From the, right? Really painful to hear. Her daughter had a baby at age 17. Ron Howard bought the rights to her book Ordeal for $3,000 only, which would become the documentary Inside Deep Throat. So sad to hear how little she was valued at the end. She then posed for the fetish magazine Leg Show in 2001, even after she was so anti-pornography. Oh, wow. Right? One of her last diary entries talks about her life revolving around dialysis and her children and grandchildren. She also felt that the Women Against Pornography movement was using her. Ironic. And Mm -hmm. yes, there was the movie Lovelace starring Amanda. How do you say your name? Seyfried? Seyfried. 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 Yeah. She was in it? Yeah, but I I didn't feel like, I mean, it's just not worth more than a mention because it did not do Linda's life and the time justice and it really lacked depth. And there's also a ton of songs that have been written about her, and she's been name-dropped more times than I could count. Uh, Linda was in another car accident in 2002, which was more serious than her first car accident. There was massive trauma and internal bleeding, and she went into a coma. As she was taken off life support three weeks later, she died at the age of 53 only. All that stuff, right? As Joe Bob in his article said, it was a car accident that led her into porn. And all these later years later, it was a car accident that finally released her. Linda was someone who ushered in an age, suffered for it, and was on both sides of the sexual revolution. Wow. And before we digress, my sources were the film Deep Throat, of course, Wikipedia, Vanity Fair articles, a Washington Post article on Ordeal. And an anti-Linda article by Joe Bob, which I kind of like used against him because he was like really hating on her, but it had tons of but great But his details. name was Joe Bob. I mean, and it's such a bad name. Change your name, dude. But anyways, it actually had like a ton. It had a ton of really like awesome in-depth details that I was like, ooh. I think you can, I think that like looking at the negative is really interesting. Right. Too. We'll talk about it in like the one of the ones I'm researching. Most of what I got was like, it wasn't negative, but it wasn't positive. And it was like, I have issues with some of the things, but it was like, it's interesting. You aren't to see. talking about the early 1900s, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like most of the stuff isn't like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of these women that you can, you can go either way with. Yep. Yep. And so that was the super loaded topic that is Linda Lovelace and Deep Throat. Good job. Thank you. You did really (laughs) thorough research for this. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> that sounds that was super interesting right did that, it like teach you so much about the industry and like it did and i've watched like i've watched some documentaries on like you know porn stars who are like they get hooked on drugs and then they you know that's like all that they're focused on and i think that's like a very common thing with that just like we talk about with sex work how it's mm-hmm. like a common thing mm-hmm and it's just it's really interesting to see like what what led you to that and yeah 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 no totally yeah it's just and again we're not saying that the industry is perfect we're just saying don't necessarily blame the industry for society mhm now let's move on to some happy harlots happy you harlot go, you go first okay my happy harlot was my mom had us over for birthday dinner last night and she made steak and mashed potatoes and peas oh, that sounds and a lot of brie. I had a lot of brie and some rosé wine. And she gave me some bottles of rosé, one of which I'm drinking now. Yeah, and it was really nice. We sat outside and Polar, we brought her over. And she like is still kind of on bed rest from her surgery. So we had to bring her kennel over. And we just got her kennel like a week ago because we, we had her one. We got her when we like first got her and she just she wasn't taking to it and then we moved and we didn't bring it with us and she was like fine out we got it and she's been doing really well in the kennel she's been sleeping in it every night we took it with us to my parents and she like stayed in it the entire time and just like chilled out she's doing really good anyway it's really fun and my mom whenever she cooks steak she has to take my pieces of steak off like 20 minutes before she could right. take everyone uh, else's uh, off. That medium rare life. Oh, mine's like rare. Oh, I didn't know that about you. Oh, yeah. I like mine mooing. Like mine's like a little bit. Yeah, it's like it. it's always like exactly red. My mom knows. Yeah, it's really good. She does this really good marinade with it. But yeah, it's so good. And then she got some cheesecake that I had in my Want fridge. So it's really nice. Cake. That sounds amazing. I got too full from eating all the brie, so I didn't have that much of the steak and mashed potatoes. And That's then, classic Emily. You only eat half of what you want, so you got to do the steak first and then eat everything after. I know. I had like, we were there for like six hours, though. I mean, whenever at four, we didn't leave till 10. I mean, like, I probably had a whole entire thing of brie. So good. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> okay. Uh, What's your happy harlot? My happy harlot is that this past week I went swimming uh, in the Snoqualmie River in the South Fork of it. And I swung from a rope swing. And I haven't oh. done that since I was little. And it was so fun. I like squealed. I, I wonder if it's the same spot where I've swung. Because when I floated down that river, there's like a big rope swing down there off of like a tree. Oh, no, this one's underneath the bridge. Oh, okay. Oh, the bridge is like where you get off from the tubing, right? Uh, there might be a different bridge. Yeah. I mean, it's huge river, so probably. It is a huge river. That sounds so much fun. It was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. And uh, the kids had a great time. And yeah, it was awesome. The river looks so pretty. Mm-hmm. And barely anyone was there. Everyone was at like the picnic area. And I found a more secluded area. So it was perfect. I- I love that when you can do that. Okay, well, it's well, time for us to go fuel up. I'm starving. I don't know about you. I am starving. I ate like a bunch of Texas toast earlier and I'm still starving. <laughs> well, <and laughs> I we have just, tacos waiting for me. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. And we just want to remind everyone that we're taking back the word harlot. One episode at a time. Be a harlot. Not a hater. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Our music is by Lloyd Rogers, and our cover art and our editing is by us. If you enjoyed listening, we would be tickled if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always email us at harlotsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com. 
we will do our best to respond with something cute, snarky, or boring. We are also on Instagram and Twitter as Harlots of History. We love you all, even the haters. Bye!